Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to see everybody, and happy birthday to the birthday folks And uh, this week. Hope you have a wonderful birthday. We're glad you're here. And uh, everybody should have a green handout. Does everybody have a green handout? Okay, we'll get you one. Anybody else need a green handout? And you should really do one per person because there's a lot of, we're going to be, there's a lot of detail, and this will really help you if you have the handout. So we've been looking at uh, the ministry of Paul, and we, we've taken our time through it. This is, uh, we're looking at, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Colossians 1, uh, verse 25, um, we'll be starting there. But we're going to do something first after we pray. Um, and this is, uh, we're on Paul's commission to preach uh, as part of his uh, talking about his ministry, four different aspects that we'll look at in just a minute. Uh, and before we, uh, so welcome to everybody online who's watching and welcome to every all of you. We're glad you're here. Thank you for coming. And uh Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege of looking at your word. There is so much in the book of Colossians. I pray that you would really help us to understand what you were saying through Paul, not only to the Colossians, but to us today. Thank you for each person that's represented here. We thank you for the families. We, we pray that you would be with those that couldn't be here due to illness. We pray for those that are ill this morning that you would help them heal them, comfort them, and encourage them. And we pray also, Father, for uh, those that have birthdays. We pray your blessing upon them and anniversaries. And uh, again, help us, Father, as we turn to your word. You promised it won't return into your void. We pray, Father, that we would be able to truly glean what you would have us to from the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Last week, I did, it, I, I kind of humorously called it a quiz. It's not really a quiz. There's some discussion points, if you will, to kind of recall some of the basics that uh, will enhance our understanding of the background of the book of Colossians. So um, I asked a few questions to see who could provide the answers and what we knew. So the first one is, is really a basic question. How many chapters does the book of Colossians have? Not, not five. Four. Okay, four chapters. Now, I like things organized. I like things really like, okay, there's, here's four, and these chapters are about this, and these chapters are about that. The first two chapters are mainly, besides the introduction and some other things, the theme of the book, um, that Christ is supreme. And then the last two chapters are practical. They talk about, how, um, about what Paul said that God expects us to do. How do we live out our faith? And, you know, I've heard it said that how we live is really our real theology. We say we believe this, but how are we living? And so Paul, in his first two chapters to this, uh, to the uh, 
to the Colossians, he provided doctrinal input that we've been looking at, really theology. It's one of the greatest pictures of Christ in all of the New Testament. And then he talks about how we should live as a result of that. How do we live out our faith? So really the first question here, I know I had a couple of questions there. What is the theme of Colossians? What is the theme of Colossians, the book? Uh, somebody was coming in. I was, I was thinking. I welcome, welcome, welcome. Good, good. Glad everybody's here. The theme of Colossians. The grace of God. It's close. It's it's a, it's it's because uh, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense and, and other definitions like that. So it's about Christ. Christ is the head of the body, the church. Christ is supreme. Christ is uh, is uh, preeminent. Christ is preeminent. He is he has, he's, he is sovereign. He has superiority. He's supreme. Uh, so Christ is preeminent. He's supreme. He's sufficient, and it's a, one of the fullest pictures of the deity of Christ. In Colossians two nine and ten say. For in him, that's in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So that's, that's considered the theme verse of Colossians. So what is the theme of Colossians? The theme of the Colossians is Christ is supreme. He's preeminent. He's the head of the body which is the church, okay? So second question. Colossians, along with Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon, are considered, now Paul wrote them, what are they called? That group of, of letters. These are letters or epistles. The fancy word is epistles, a letter. Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon are considered what? Paul's epistles, that's right. But what, what's the other name for them? Uh, what a hint. They were, where were they written? Yes, so they call them the prison epistles. Very often you hear the term. So Colossians. What now? Yeah. <laughs> you can keep score. That's fine with me. Okay. I, 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 we got three men. Well, don't count me. Two men for like a, a number of ladies there. Okay. But that's okay. So prison epistle. He was in prison at Rome between 60 and 62 AD, if my memory is correct. He wrote, he wrote these. And so... Which of those that I just, well, no, which of uh, Paul's letters, all of the epistles, which one is most like Colossians in content? So I'm asking these questions because I'm trying to give us a bigger perspective and set a background, things that are really helpful to know. Which one of the epistles or Paul's letters is most like Colossians in its content? 
Yes, Ephesians. Very good, Ephesians. So what is the main difference? So which one, which one of the books, which one of the uh, Paul's, Paul's epistles, Paul's, Paul's epistles, uh, the, his letters, which one is the most like Colossians in content? Ephesians. So often if you find a, a verse in Colossians or a thought, it's mirrored in some way in Ephesians. Okay, so what is the difference if it's most like, uh, most like Ephesians and Colossians are very much alike? What's the main doctrinal emphasis or difference in Ephesians? We just said that the theme of Colossians is that Christ is the head of the body of Christ, the church. Christ is preeminent. So what is the theme of Ephesians? What's the main difference in the Ephesians theme? I couldn't hear you. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't addressing a heresy uh, with asceticism beating down the flesh, yes. So that's that's a that's that's a good subpoint. What what I was after, but that the main grand theme of Colossians is Christ, the head of the church. And the main theme for Ephesians is the church of which Christ is a head. So Ephesians focuses on the church of which Christ is a head. Colossians focuses on the head, which is Christ. So you see how that's why they could be so related is because they're focusing on one focuses on Christ, the other focuses on the church of which Christ is the head. So that's always good to know because that really helps you in the understanding and how you approach the book. Are they close Say again? Are they close yeah. yeah, within 100 and if my memory's correct, somewhere around 140, 50 miles. Yes. Which is close for us, a little further for them. So, oh yeah. Don't the man, don't mind the man with the hose. He's just connecting up for the baptism. So okay, that's funny. We got a hot water a heater here. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's no no uh, spiritual significance other than baptisms. Not an illustration. Okay. Okay. Uh, what other epistle is directly related to Colossians? There's another epistle that Paul wrote that's very. Uh, specifically related to Colossians in um, in regards to the people involved. So, what other what other epistle, what other letter was written in the New Testament that's related? Now, Ephesians is related as far as content. But what other epistle was related to the Colossians directly? No, no. It's a small one. And this was written to a person. No. Philemon. Okay. So Philemon. Paul wrote to Philemon. That's why I want to do this, because we often miss the details uh, and the big picture because we're focused on the content. So I want to give us the big picture and kind of enhance our understanding of, of the uh, Scripture. So Colossians, 
is related in the church, and uh, it was the book was written. It was one of the few books of the Bible uh, and, or, and uh, the New Testament written to a person. So um, there's only 25 verses, and we often forget it, but it has great significance. So who was Philemon? Uh, let, uh, Steve, would you mind reading Philemon verses 1 and 2? And you can turn there if you want. It says, Paul, prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, and to Philemon, our dearly beloved, and our fellow laborer, and to our beloved Athenia, and uh, our Chippus, our fellow, uh, fellow soldiers, and to the church that is thy house. So, that's a pretty, pretty interesting introduction. So, Let's talk about the book of Philemon in just a minute, because it's related. Often when somebody does a commentary on Colossians, they'll tack on Philemon, because it's, there's a relationship there. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, Colossians is related to Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy citizen of Colossae, and he was, uh, as you saw, he calls him a beloved and fellow laborer. So he was a um, fellow servant uh, serving the Lord uh, and fellow minister of Paul. So he was, uh, he was a friend of Paul's, and he was married to Apphia, A-P-P-H-I-A, that was his wife, and we believe he's believed he was the father of Archippus, A R C H I P P U S, uh, mentioned also there. Um, so that was the son, it's believed. And it says the church in your home. So it's believed that the home was where the Colossians held church or part of them. Because there could have been home churches. There could have been more than one. But most people believe, most scholars believe that's where the, the, the some or all of the church of Colossae met. Okay. How are we doing, guys? How are we doing? It's, it's, it's cold. Oh, it's cold. Oh, it's not working. Oh, no. It, it was warm uh, uh, yesterday morning. Uh, 76 degrees. Okay. Uh, honey, so. Oh, gosh. It might not be that warm either. <laughs> we have a vested interest in that. <laughs> okay. So, don't pay no attention to the people behind the curtain here. So, okay. So, no, I'm joking. Uh, you're, you're involved in that, right? <laughs> okay. 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 So, Philemon was the a wealthy citizen, and he was the person that had the church in his home, okay? So the other thing, what was the issue? Does anybody remember the issue that Paul was writing to Philemon about? Why did he write the letter? Yeah, he had a slave named Onesimus who had run away. Paul led to, uh, Onesimus to Christ in Rome. In God's sovereignty, Onesimus runs to Paul he runs to Rome because he wants to get hidden in all the mass of 
um, thousands and thousands of slaves. Even doctors could be slaves back then. I, I, I was told it was a, it, uh, unlike our image of the slaves in the South, there was a lot of different slaves and they held a lot of different occupations, some of them lofty, and, but they were owned by their master. And Paul won Onesimus to Christ and he was, he, as a runaway slave, Paul wanted him to stay there because he was helpful to Paul in his imprisonment, but he knew Paul knew that he needed to send him back to Philemon for restitution because he had stolen from him and he had run away. And so Paul sent Philemon back with the person who delivered the letter saying, if he owes anything to you, put it on my account. Forgive him and Paul, Paul actually said, and you owe, you owe me a lot. <laughs> Not in those words, but uh, he said that to him. He's saying, forgive him. And that's a picture of the forgiveness that we have through Christ, but also the doctrine of imputation where Christ, uh, our sins were put on Christ and his righteousness was imputed to us. Our sins were imputed to him. His righteousness was imputed to us. So that's an important book from that perspective because God uses it to show that illustration. So uh, <clears throat> Onesimus returned with, that, with the bearer of that letter to Philemon, and he was imploring Philemon to forgive him and accept him back. And uh, the spiritual picture there of forgiveness and the doctrine of imputation is important. Does anybody remember, extra, extra credit question, Anybody remember who delivered, uh, along with Onesimus, the slave, the books of Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians, three of the prison letters, Philippians is delivered by somebody else. Anybody remember? Tychicus, yes, <laughs> that's right. Extra credit to Cindy. Now, did you? That's right, it's right there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, I always struggled on how to pronounce that, so I looked it up, and I've heard it's Tychicus or Tychicus. I like Tychicus, so that's what I'm going to say. Okay, questions about the questions I ask you. Okay, so the mo book most related to, to Colossians is Ephesians, which has a, a reverse picture of uh, the body of Christ. Ephesians is the body of Christ, of which Christ is a head. And Colossians talk about Christ, the head of the body. So that's why Ephesians has the armor of God in it, because it's about the, uh, the church, the body of Christ, and the things we have. Colossians talks about the supremacy of Christ, because it's about the head of the body. Okay. Um, and we talked about Philemon being uh, related, because these people, Philemon and Archippus and... Uh, Apphia were all in uh, Colossae, and the church met in their home. So, uh, okay, so let's go to the handout, pull your handout out, and go to Colossians 1. <coughs> and I'm going to read verses 24, uh, 20, 24, 23 through the end of the chapter. 
So if you'll follow along with me, Colossians 1, verses 23 through 29, okay? You ready? Everybody ready? Okay. If or since you continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is, in, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice, verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof, or of which, I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whom, verse 28. Whom we preach. He doesn't say what we preach. He says whom we preach. They preach Christ warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So looking at your handout, we're looking at the ministry, the overall subject of the ministry of Paul and uh, under introduction, you see there are four aspects of Paul's ministry in relationship to Colossians. One is suffering, and that was verse 24. He says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And they, he's saying specifically, he, he suffered for the Colossians. To fill up that which is behind the afflictions in Christ, afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. So we looked at that in a previous back in November, and commissioned to preach uh, verse, chapter 1, verses 25 through 29. That's the section we're in now. And then in the future, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. That's the concern Paul had. And then the challenge, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 later. Okay, So suffering, just to summarize what we looked at in suffering. So prior to our current section... Paul, in the previous verses, 15 through 23, proclaimed Christ's unique supremacy, his sovereignty, his superiority, his sufficiency, and his preeminence. Preeminence means he was above all and he's before all. He's God. He concluded verse 23 with a reference to the spread of the gospel to the world of the statement that he was made a minister of the gospel. In verse 24, he states... His sufferings are part of that ministry. So he suffered, uh, and it reflects three principles in verse 24. He's suffering, his suffering is for others. His sufferings are identified with the afflictions or the sufferings of Christ. His sufferings were with rejoicing. Okay, now we're on B, which is, corresponds to the big words up there, commission to preach. Chapter 1, verses 25 through 29. Reviewing that. 
So there's, don't be confused, but the second aspect of his ministry, his commission to preach, Paul's ministry, uh, that aspect of commission to preach, has four features in his preaching ministry. One, his appointment. We looked at that last week. We looked at Paul's message last week. Didn't look at all of it, but we looked at some of it. And then we're going to be looking at Paul's method and then his aim or goal. So under the commission to preach, which is the second of the great big four aspects of his ministry, we're looking at Paul's appointment, his message, his method, his aim. And we'll start primarily, uh, we'll review his appointment, which is next, number one. See, the number one under uh, his commission to preach, Paul's appointment, I renumbered them the same below that. Paul's appointment, verse 25, of which I am, or whereof I am made a minister, the church, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So Paul, his appointment to his ministry is reflected in that verse. He, he is a minister of the gospel. You see that below the diamonds there. And we read those passages where he talks about he's a minister of the gospel. He's a minister of God. He's a minister of Christ. And that one I call the resume of his ministry, which is hallmarked his suffering. You know, how many stripes, how many times he's beaten with rods, how many times he was shipwrecked, really striking. Uh, and then he's a minister of the new covenant in 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Now, B, under that, Paul's appointment, the very bottom of page 1 is where we're at. As a minister of the church, he is to serve and suffer in the manner that's necessary for the welfare and requirements of the church and the gospel as the Lord directs. So in the middle of that paragraph, the point is suffering and service for Christ and the church become his duty and his responsibility. In addition to the joy that he said he had in doing it, um, and in verse 24 he talks who now rejoice in my sufferings in addition to that he's, he suffers and, and provides and serves Christ in the church and we we also have a duty and responsibility to serve even suffer not as apostles but as servants of God suffering is inevitable in our ministry and we discussed that at length. And let's look at the top of page two, according to the dispensation of God. So um, Paul's appointment, his calling, his commissioning to be an, in his office, in his ministry, was on the terms of stewardship, or the, the word dispensation really means stewardship, the arrangement, in other words, arrangement and plan of God. Paul viewed his work that he was involved with and that God appointed him to as a sacred trust and special privilege requiring the utmost accountability, responsibility, and dedication to God. He was commissioned by God, so he was accountable to God. Now, 
we have work. God has given us gifts, to, as we know, that to do work. Some are teachers, some are preachers, some are evangelists, some uh, minister, and many other things that we are to do and are to use our gifts. We have a sacred trust as well. So are we, do we count that as a sacred trust and a special privilege? Are we fulfilling our responsibility in, in, in our ministry that God has given to us? We're not apostles. Most of us aren't preachers. Most, many of us aren't teachers. Not sure I'm a teacher either. <laughs> but, you know, we are to use what God has given to us and count it as a sacred trust, trust and a privilege just like Paul did and be accountable to God for how we, uh, are, we fulfill that. So now we're on, if you look back at page one here, the second thing under his commission to preach, Paul's, Paul's appointment, now we're at Paul's message. Okay, that's number two, verses 25b through 28a. So reviewing various phrases, what's Paul's message? What's he saying? What is Paul communicating? Well, he used a number of different words to identify Paul's message. The first one is the word of God in 25b. He said, uh, I'm made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The last phrase in verse 25. The word of God. This term sums up the oral proclamation of the apostles, and it's often used as a synonym for the gospel. So the word of God, and we read those verses there. Uh, that talked about the word of God that Paul used. Item B, we also began to talk about this. The word of God is revealed as a mystery. Now, this is not Agatha Christie. It's not Sherlock Holmes. Everybody loves a good mystery. This is not that term. This is not used in that way. There was no, there was no Sherlock Holmes and no Agatha Christie back then. Christ spoke of mysteries himself. Now, Paul, the word mystery was used by and, and may have been borrowed from uh, the religious language of the day. Uh, many of the philosophers and mystics used the word mystery uh, to talk about uh, things that were not known or secrets. And it comes from the Greek, and you see in paragraph B here it means to initiate into the mysteries or to learn a secret actually often it's 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 actually translated to learn a secret now how many of you are familiar with vines vines expository dictionary you could look up an english word generally in the king james version from the king james version because it was based off that and it will tell you all the different meanings in the specific passages so I looked up uh, um, mystery, and this is what it says. Uh, it, it, it's from the word mysterion, M-U-S-T-E-R-I-O-N, mysterion. And it means, in the New Testament, it denotes not the mysterious as with the English word, but that which being one, 
outside the range of unassisted natural apprehension, that is, we can't understand it apart from God, two, can be made only known by divine revelation. It comes from God. A revelation of a mystery comes from God. Three, only known in a manner and a time appointed by God. And four, it can uh, only be known by those who are illumined by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. And then the ordinary, in the ordinary sense, the mystery applies to knowledge withheld. And this is a strong point here. The significance of a scriptural mystery is that it's truth revealed. It's just the opposite of what it was used in the secular world because the secular world was about a secret, but it's truth revealed in, in, the, in the New Testament. So, so the terms associated with this is made known, manifested, revealed, preached, understood, dispensation, that's stewardship. That definition above may be best illustrated by the following passage, and that's ours. The mystery which had been hidden from all ages and generations, but now hath been manifested, made known, understood to the saints. Colossians 1.26. And this word is used in Philippians 4.12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I am instructed both in other words, I have learned the secret. I've been instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Um, so it also can mean learn a, learn a secret. Okay, so in the middle of page two, under Paul's message, item B, basically, Paul took a word misused by false religion and used it to express great truths from God. In the New Testament, as Vine said, it's used of a truth made known only by divine revelation. You can only know this from God. And it's made known in a manner and time appointed by God. And it's to those who are illumined, so illuminated, those that are illumined by the Holy Spirit, and the intestament, it refers to something that was once a secret, but now is revealed in the gospel in God's word. It's used four times in Colossians. Chapter 1, 26 and 27, where we are now. In chapter 2, verse 2, and in chapter 4, verse 3. So a mystery is truth revealed. Something that was not known in the past. The Israelites didn't understand it. The Jews of the Old Testament didn't understand it. So, now we're, we're on new material, item C, here under Paul's message. Paul describes a mystery's two characteristics in verse 26b. Even the mystery which hath been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his states. So it's understood now, it's revealed now. So something was hidden, but now is made known. The knowledge was not known, known to previous generations and ages, but now is revealed to his saints. The knowledge was covered up from the people of former ages and generations. It's made, man, made manifest means to show openly or disclosed, revealed. The Greek, 
Now, I'm going to mention Greek grammar here because this is what the scholars tell me. I don't understand Greek construction, but I do understand that you can actually shift the word, the way you express the words to really emphasize how important something is and how wonderful it is. So that's what Paul did here, and Paul was masterful with his words. And he, he actually, the Greek grammar shows uh, it's irregular. It's not the way you usually express something. It shows that it, it uses a, um, a participle, which is a, um, um, a word which usually we, a participle for us is a word that's used as a, 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 ver, a verb, which is used uh, to describe action. And half been hid, it shifts from that participle to a very declarative, emphatic, made manifest. So the emphasis here, and I used a quote from a, from a scholar named Peake, Paul's, it shows evidence of Paul's intense joy that the long silence has been broken and that Paul is content with nothing short short of a definite statement of the glorious fact. So it's not evident English, but it's like he was saying, it's as if he were saying, this hath been hidden from all ages and generations, but now it's made manifest to his saints. Do you see it? Here it is. This is it. It's a mystery. Now we know this. What a blessing this is. It's not quite that emphatic, but that to get overemphasized so you could see that. So, verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ and you, the hope of glory. Verse 27 reveals that to the saints, God would make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. God is chosen. He's pleased to reveal his eternal plan to his saints and reveal how great is the glorious truth made known in the gospel mystery. It's God's will that this mystery shall be fully explained to all the nations in all its riches and glory. Norley, who was a, a scholar. The sense of the riches is spiritual. We're not talking about money here, but we're talking about God's spiritual riches, which is worth far more. Vast spiritual riches riches and gloriously divine significance among the gentiles is literally in the gentiles and that identifies where this wealth of glory of this mystery is focused paul was joyful and in awe of the wonder and divine significance of the previously unexpected prospect of the salvation of the gentile nations and the inclusion of the Gentiles and the Jews into one body. Gentiles are often called the nations. They're included into one body, the body of Christ, the church, of which Christ is the head. Now, there are a number of mysteries in the, uh, in the, in the, in the New Testament. Um, reading from a, a commentary by uh, uh, MacArthur, he says, a mystery, this refers to truth hidden until now, but revealed for the first time in the saints in the New Testament. Such truth includes the mystery of the incarnate God, God in the flesh, in Colossians 2. Uh, Israel's unbelief, the second one, Romans 11, 
lawlessness, 2 Thessalonians 2. The mystery of the unity of Jew and Gentile made one in the church, Ephesians 3. That's number four. The rapture of the church of 1 Corinthians 15. And then this passage, the mystery is specifically identified. That's Christ and you, the hope of glory. So a number of mysteries in the, in the New Testament. This isn't the only one. It's a truth previously unknown, now made, under, now revealed or made manifest, shown openly. Now, we had a lady in the church we used to go to, and she had a number of stories. She had a huge family, seven or eight and <laughs> kids, and uh, they often went up and dug for gold, actually panned for gold up in the Sierras. And the way I remember this story is that they, they loved to do this. And at first they were doing it as a recreational activity. Then it became something of an obsession as somebody found gold and they saw that beautiful gold in the pan, recognized the value that that has. They got gold fever and they got real excited about it. It became intense. I mean, they would go and work hours and hours and hours and kill themselves to, to the exclusion of other important tasks. And she described how they, they became so obsessive about it that because the gold was so attractive and it, it, they got gold fever. I don't know if you've ever gotten one of those feelings where it just becomes an obsession. And they were when they found it, they were so excited, they just wanted to find more. And they tried to do everything they could. They go to different places and tips and everything they could, new techniques and sluice boxes and all these things. Well, they were more focused on gold than they were really on the original act thing, which was to do things together as a family. And that became, the goal became a, essentially a lust after the gold instead of working together as a family, loving family. They became about the, this is not, spiritual riches aren't like that because uh, riches can decay and be taken away. But these are vast riches, spiritual riches that we're going to describe in just a minute that are just far beyond the enjoyment of a few, a few ounces of gold, which can buy a lot of things, but they can't, they don't really possess, it's not spiritual riches. Now, uh, we are going to move into which is Christ in you. And this is very, very important. This is part of the mystery. And this is, this is the mystery. But our time is up, so you'll have to come back next week to hear the rest. <laughs> so, a cliffhanger here. <laughs> come back next week. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? Uh, so we're going to talk about that. This is one of the, the most marvelous things I've ever had the opportunity to, to teach. Is, uh, I got, I, it helped me understand. Do you know in the Old Testament... They, they, didn't, they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. It talks about his, let his mantle fall on me for ministry. And they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. No wonder they made so many mistakes. But we have Christ in us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And we're going to talk about that next week. So you have to come back to hear the end of the story. Okay? <laughs> Questions? Okay, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time of looking at your word. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ lives within us. The Holy Spirit lives within us. You live within us, Father. 
Help us to realize the wonderful riches and the glory that that is. And Lord, help us to absorb that mentally so that we might be more like Christ and serve you to our fullest. Pray that you bless each one that is here, each one that is watching at home. I pray that you would uh, bless the service to follow and the baptism. And uh, thank you, Father, for those that uh, have come out to hear your word. We pray that uh, your word would not return into your void. Help us as we study Colossians. Pray for those that are ill, for their healing and their comfort and encouragement. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.